Hey church, it's great to be with you this morning. Um, can you imagine with me for a minute that you've decided to follow Jesus, uh, you're committing your life to him, and then all of a sudden where you lived there was a great persecution broke out and you were scared for your life. And so you, with your family, um, moved out of house and home, taking a few possessions with you, uh, ended up in another country, sort of set up home there, um, only to find that when you're in this other country and settled, you still are being discriminated against because of your love for Jesus. Maybe uh, you were barred from a job because you were a Christian, or maybe when you started a business, everybody boycotted it because you were a Christian, and then people spread false rumors about you. How would you feel if you had made that commitment to Jesus, but then you find yourself in a foreign country and still being discriminated against because you're a Christian? And you know, there's a group of people that we read about in the Bible, and the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to them, uh, to talk to them about the situation they were in. And although they were hundreds of miles away from him, he wanted them to know that God knew exactly where they were and what they were facing, and nothing was missed from them. In these two letters towards the end of the Bible that we've been talking about over the last few weeks, uh, from Peter to them. In the first one, Peter opens in the first verse with a phrase that calls them the elect exiles, the elect exiles. You know, that really means that they're strangers chosen as recipients of special privilege. Of course, they were strangers, but God had chosen them to have special privileges. What he was saying to them is, you may be ignored in the high street, but you're known in the heavenlies. Isn't that great? Even though people discriminated against us because of our faith in Jesus, we're known in the throne room of heaven. Peter wanted them to know no matter what the circumstances, he wanted them to have an unshakable faith and an unshakable walk with God. That's what our current series we've been talking about over this last few weeks Although our jobs can maybe be uncertain at this time, maybe some of us are on furlough, um, maybe we're receiving a diagnosis, maybe our friends or our relatives are in hospital with COVID. He wants us to know that we can be unshakable no matter what the circumstances. And over this last few weeks, we've talked about an unshakable salvation, uh, unshakable in suffering. We've been talked about in the middle of turmoil to have unshakable peace. And then last week, Josh talked to us about living with unshakable humility. And today, I want to talk to you for a little while about unshakable identity in Christ, our unshakable identity in Christ. You know, very often when Paul wrote to churches and Peter wrote to churches, they would start in the first few chapters or the first few verses of that letter that they were writing and they would describe to them how incredible God was and how much God loved them and how much God had done for them. And then after that, they went on to talk about how they should live because of that. 
So he wanted them to know how incredible God was, how much God had done for them, how much he valued them, so that they could have unshakable faith in God, so they could, they could have an unshakable walk with God in everyday life. And in Peter's case, he talks about how incredible God is, how much he loves these people, even though they're in difficult situations. And then from about chapter three onwards, he starts to talk about the, this unshakable walk that they have in, rela in, in relationships with other people. He talks about relationships with the government. He talks about relationships with a boss. He talks about relationships in a family with wife and husband and how they should relate to each other. And the basis of that is how much God cares for and loves us. And I want to talk to you today what he says about an, un an unshakable identity in Christ. Many of you will know that I'm a keen football fan. I love watching football. And from the age of 11, I started making a sort of two-weekly pilgrimage uh, to worship at the temple that is Pataudry, where Aberdeen Football Club play. I joined thousands of other like-minded people, like-minded worshippers. Uh, there was no mistake in my identity as an Aberdeen fan. I, um, and those who surrounded us, I would have my hat and my red scarf and my top and everything on. It was clear to everybody around about that I was an Aberdeen supporter. And I remember once uh, that my uncle who I went with all the time, he said, let's, let's go to an away match. Let's drive further down and go to away match. So we decided that we were going to our, my first away match, was, which was at Celtic Park. And, you know, off we set, my Aberdeen top on, my hat and my scarf, and we parked up, parked up and I set off to walk to the ground with uh, total red and white. And as I walked down the, down the road, I came to the realization that there was a distinct lack of red and white. And uh, the further I walked, the more strange looks th that I got from everybody wearing green and white. And uh, as I walked down the road, I started to uh, take my, I put my hat off, put it in my pocket, took my scarf off, put that in my pocket, zipped up my coat um, so that nobody would know my identity as an Aberdeen follower. I, I was scared about the people around about us. You know, sometimes we can do that even today with our lives before Jesus, that we don't, we hide who, who our identity is. We hide that we're a, a follower of Jesus. And, uh, you know, I, I went to the match, sat down, and I'm sitting there with all these other people around about us. And uh, in the first maybe five minutes, Aberdeen scored a goal. And I jumped to my feet, shouting and screaming like I normally do. And uh, I suddenly realized nobody else around me was standing up and cheering. I was there by myself. And then this guy behind me taps on me on the shoulder and I turn around and look at him and he's got a scar all the way down his face right across his mouth and chin and with a very sort of stern voice he says sit down son unless you want to make a visit to the hospital <laughs> I mean needless to say I didn't make another sound the rest of the match in fact we got a penalty later on and I was going no 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 that wasn't the penalty because I was so, so scared of the guy behind me and you know my identity had got me into trouble and our identity as Christians 
can get us into trouble, as it did those who were in Asia Minor that people were writing to. Their identity in Christ, or as a follower of Jesus, meant that they couldn't get a job or they were barred for doing business. But I'm also convinced that not understanding our identity in Christ creates trouble for us as individuals. When we don't understand who we are and what we are in Christ, we start to build on a very shaky foundation. And so I want to rewind back right to the start of the Bible and just read a little bit about um, who our identity is in. Um, It's in Genesis. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and he and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the the earth and over the every creeping thing that creeps on the earth you know when the old testament uh, was translated into greek in a book called the septuagint the word used for image to create man in our image was the word icon now, many of you probably won't remember this because you're probably too young, but um, we used to, when we used computers before, we used to work with DOS and we had to type in loads of commands and everything like that. And then suddenly Windows came along. And then we had these little images on the screen. Instead of having to type long commands, we could just click on this little image that we called icons, and that would take us to a program that would take us to a, another place. We don't call them that now. We call them shortcuts or apps. But when you clicked on these icons, it took you somewhere else. You know, when I was, um, a couple of years ago, I was uh, studying a little about the Orthodox Church, something I've never looked at before, and it opened up a whole new world to me. You know, uh, MKCC is just a building to me. There's nothing particularly special about it. Um, in a life of as a church, we've met in community centres. Um, we've met in. We even met in a place called the Pits. That's a great name for a church, isn't it? And uh, but in an Orthodox church, everything about the building and everything about how it's decorated and everything is didactic. It's meant to uh, teach us, even the building. And I learned a little bit about icons. You won't see this from so far away, but this is a little icon. And it's meant to be when you look at this icon, it's supposed to take you to another place, take you to God. And this little icon here, it's got the last few days of Jesus' life all printed on there. And as I look to that, it takes me from the human to the heavenlies. And, you know... When the Trinity was creating mankind, they had a conversation and they created man or mankind as icons of God. So when you looked at the icon, the man or the woman, when you looked at the icon, you were taken somewhere else. It was reflected to God. We were made in God's image. And you know, every human that has ever lived carries the image of God, is an icon of God. So maybe uh, if you're at home, nudge the person next to you. If you're online and you're speaking, uh, you, you've got nobody with you, maybe put in the, in the comments, 
hey, Jim, you're the icon of God. And you know, the problem with this icon, this image of God, is that it's supposed to take you direct, direct to God, but it has been broken by sin. A little while later in Genesis, we read, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. This is the first point in the Bible where we discover shame, where shame comes in. It says, then goes on to say, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the gardens. Shame came in and rather than reflecting the glory of God, being the image of God, they decided to hide from God because they were ashamed. And you know, we can hide from God and we can hide from each other because of sin. Sin messes up our identity and it introduces, introduces shame to us and it isolates us from others. You know, we already don't like ourselves, so why would we believe that other people would like, a, like us. So we're positive that other people wouldn't like us because of what we feel ourselves. You know, the antidote to that is not to go into hiding from other people or from God. The antidote to this, to shame, is transparency. You know, transparency defeats shame and it takes us on a pathway to intimacy. So we, we must not go into that situation. And, it, and, it, and, and that shame bottled up within us leads to mental health problems. It leads to self-harm. Then the interesting thing is already sin has messed us up, has messed up this icon of God. But then, of course, life happens. And life, our experiences, life can start to introduce shame to ourselves and mess up this icon that we've got. I've told you before um, that I, I love sports and when I was growing up um, I was uh, quite weak and uh, was struggled with strength and everything like that so I was never any good at sports and when we um, uh, had football games and everything um, I would always be the last one picked. I would be the last one and even then they didn't want to pick me and what, what that told me was I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. And then uh, I told you also before about a time when I, I got 99% in my exam. In fact, no, 98% it was. 98% in my maths exam. And I went home and said to my mom, I got 98% in my, in my maths exam, mom. And she said, it's a pity about the 2%. Isn't that amazing? So I already didn't feel good enough. And now I discovered that my best wasn't good enough. Have you ever felt like that? And then lastly, um, because I was quite thin, I got given a nickname. And there's a name up in Scotland. I won't use it, but there's a name up in Scotland for a dead match, matchstick. And uh, that became my nickname. And uh, so I, I started from a place where I didn't think I was good enough. 
And then I went to a place where my best wasn't good enough. And now I was told every day by a name that really what use is a dead match? It's worthless. And so we start with sin that comes into our life and then things happen to us that create this difficulty within us that takes away the image that we're supposed to have. We were created in God's image. Sin has cracked this icon, so it doesn't take us to where it's supposed to take us to, into the heavenlies, and then life happens to us and experiences happen to us. And then we feel that our identity is nothing. You know, the story of the gospel is that we were created as icons of God. And then second, that icon is cracked through sin. Then we come to probably the most important part of the narrative of the story is to restore the identity that was lost. Hebrews 1 verse 3 puts it like this. He, that is Jesus. Now when Jesus came, he he came as the icon of God, not cracked, he had no sin. So we've, we've, he is different to all the rest of us. So he, he, Jesus, is the reflection of God's glory. The exact imprint. That word that is used there for exact imprint means like you're minting coins one after another and you're pushing them out and they, they look exactly the same as the one before. He, Jesus, is the reflection. He takes us, the icon, Jesus, takes us to God the Father. Is the reflection of God's glory, the exact imprint of God's very being. And Jesus, he sustains all things by his powerful word. And when he had made purification, you see, he came to deal with our sin. When he made purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is the exact imprint of God the Father, the icon that shows us what God is like. Paul, writing to the Corinthians church, puts it like this. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, the glory of Christ through the image of God. And a few verses before that, in 2 Corinthians 3, Paul says this, And all of us, with unveiled face, seeing the glory of the Lord, as though reflected in a mirror, are transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. In seeing Jesus, looking at Jesus, what we adore, we become. And Paul was saying to the Corinthians believers, as you look at Christ, as you dwell on Christ, as you look at Christ, the glory of God then we, step by step, are being transformed into the same image. The icon that was cracked is being repaired and transformed into the same image 
of Jesus Christ from one degree of glory to another. Isn't that amazing that God is doing that with us? You know, in the the first chapter of Peter, 1 Peter, I'd love for you to go home today and look at what Peter tells these hard-pressed Christians about their identity, about how much God loves loves them. He he talks, I haven't got time to read it now. In verse 1, he talks about being elect exiles, precious. He he says in verse 2 that God knew them in advance. He had foreknowledge about them. In verse 3, he caused us to be born again. It wasn't something that we did, but what Jesus did. He says in verse 4 that they have an imperishable inheritance saved in heaven. Verse 5, by God's power, we're being guarded. He's guarding us. Verse 6, he tests us for the genuineness of faith, more precious than gold that, ne- that perishes. Verse 9 says, you obtain your salvation of your souls. It's going to happen. We're going to obtain the salvation of our souls. And verse 10, it talks about the prophets speaking about the things of God and how we see it now and how the angels before wished they could even see it. We get into something that even the angels couldn't see. Verse 18, he talks about us being ransomed, of paying a price for us. And it builds up into this second chapter of First Peter. Let me read to you 1 Peter 2, verse 4 and 5. As you come to him, that's Jesus, a living stone who was rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, you're also like living stones. A second ago, he was talking about Jesus as a living stone, but now he's talking about the people he's speaking to are like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer sacrifices to God. Then 1 Peter 2 verse 9, just a few verses later, but you, but you are a chosen race. You might be a hundred miles away, a thousand miles away. You might be facing the most difficult situation you've ever faced in your life. He, but he says to them, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. In fact, that word priesthood in the original isn't, isn't there. It just says, you are kingly. You're a chosen race. You are kingly in nature. A holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Isn't that amazing? He, taught, he says nine times he speaks, I'm sorry, sorry ten, ten times he speaks to them. He says, you're chosen, you're precious, you're spiritual, you're holy, you're acceptable, you're chosen. You're a royal priesthood. You're holy. You're his possession. Why? So that we can bring acceptable sacrifices to God and we can proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. I just believe that these people reading these words were encouraged and helped. And to understand who we are in God and our identity in God makes us stand up straight. Not because of anything we've done, because in there we read, through Jesus Christ. 
He's done so much for us. And he wants to know, and Peter wanted to know these hard-pressed Christians, and he wants us to know today, whatever we're facing, whether we're in Farlow or facing COVID, that we are valued infinitely by our God. Amen.